Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Barnard, and joining me today is Michael Ritter, CEO and founder at Maple Media. Michael and his growing team acquire and operate category-leading consumer apps. Popular Maple Media apps include PickStitch, Weather High Def Radar, We Heart It, Player FM, We Cal, and many more. On the podcast, we talk with Michael about operating a portfolio of almost 40 apps, the importance of delivering value to customers, and why you should never use Teal on your paywall. Hey, Michael, thanks for being on the podcast. I wanted to kick things off um, and just ask about Maple Media, your company. Um, just love to hear kind of your, your start in the app industry and then what eventually led you to, to build Maple Media. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, uh, I started Maple Media a few years ago. I used to be in the mobile gaming business and I realized there was a whole second tab in the app store of apps <laughs> that was totally being ignored. Uh, and I thought it'd be a really great opportunity to go out and to explore more of the app side because early on, most people were just focused on games. Uh, and that's, that's really what I started in, in um, evaluating potential opportunities in that category. Nice. And so, so in the, in the gaming space, were you, what, what uh, company were you with and, and what kind of stuff did you work on with that company? Yeah. So I was er- very early at a company called Jam City. Uh, they have, make very popular puzzle games like Cookie Jam and Panda Pop. And I was, uh, I really enjoyed my time working with them over there. Uh, it was actually, when I started there, it was very early in mobile games too. It was, we were some of their first yeah. mobile games uh, back when I started over there. And I was doing a lot of M&A for them, uh, acquiring apps and evaluating, or games. And I was evaluating game mechanics and, and interesting games for us to, or studios for us to acquire. And, um, but I kind of had this theory, you know, as, as my career progressed that Apple had a ad campaign way back in the day when they first launched the app store that was, you know, there was an app for it, but now there's like 10 apps for every it. There's almost <laughs> every product you can imagine on the app store. There's a lot of great content creators and developers out there, but taking an app to like the next stage of its life where you're managing the user base, growing the app improving um, the features of the app or doing marketing, for example, is a different skill set and know-how. And that's what what I was really good at. I'm not really a creator, um, but I was really good at the business side. And so that's where what Maple Media really fits in is that we sort of marry the two is we go out and look for great products and uh, great creators. And we think we can elevate and grow the app from that stage. And so we rather acquire uh, a mobile app uh, that has a good market fit and mm-hmm. be able to sort of elevate it and grow it to the next level. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize you you had actually done M and A at Jam City, so that's cool. So so then you think, okay, there's this opportunity. Where did you go from there? Did you do like go the VC route and raise money? Did you was it uh, bootstrapped or or how did how did you actually kickstart Maple Media? And and remind me again, what what year was this that you actually launched the business? We ended up launching the business back in early 2017. Okay. Um, and you can't just like go out there and you, know, you got to prove out your concept. So I, so I, uh, yeah. I bought an app for $2,000 <laughs> and <laughs> I, I fixed it up. I, I, I fixed it up a little bit and it ended up, I ended up 
facing some technical issues with it, but I ended up selling it for, for a pretty good amount of money. I like 10x my money on it and realized that I could buy an app, improve it and, and, and then sell it. And so that was sort of like my first sort of, you know, first entry into it on my own. And then from there, I, I formulated, you know, a, a business plan of this idea of rolling up mobile apps and pitched it to VC. I, I first pitched it to VCs. I pitched it to angel investors. I ended up raising about a million dollars from 10 <laughs> angel investors, 100,000 wow. at a time. But I knew I needed yeah. more money to start with. And I was telling a friend, you know, as you hear these stories, I was telling a friend, like, I'm going to be raising money for the rest of my life if I need to do yeah. you know, 100,000 <laughs> at a time and I have all these investors. But the, the VCs didn't, the roll-up strategy wasn't really very popular for, for VCs at the time. Um, and it was suggested that I would approach a private, you know, private equity firms because that was more of their type of model. Right. And as most people raise their money on the girls' soccer field for like AOSO soccer, this, <laughs> the, you know, my, we talked to this uh, guy in private equity. Hey, I have this idea. I've been recommended that this should uh, is more of a private equity play than a VC play. And come on in and, and pitch me on it. Three days later, I was pitching the pitching the team, and um, you know, the, sort of the rest is kind of history. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And and so, did did you have any co-founders, or or was it just you? And and are are you still like the 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 main shareholder, and it's your company? Yeah, so I'm the I'm the co-founder and CEO, uh, or sorry, uh, I'm the founder and CEO, and we have a great CEO uh, that we brought on shortly after starting, and. Um, we we only have uh, one investor, um, which is a private equity firm, and and we go out and we've you know we've built a business. We've done over thirty seven acquisitions to date uh, of wow. mobile apps, and um, we continue to grow the business and we're continuing to be very active in the space. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, back back to the the first part of that story, I, I would love to hear this this two thousand dollar app you bought in ten x your money. Uh, do you remember like what what are the what are the specific things you did in that app that you turned your money around so quick? It was this road. It was I wish I remember the name of it. It was like this road game, uh, and I just switched. I changed out the monetization. So I changed out some oh. some of the advertising structure and um, and made some tweaks to it uh, that increased the revenue pretty substantially. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. You know, I, I had this like total fluke of an app. In, in fact, I, I talked to somebody on your team about acquiring it because I sold it back in, I think it was 20, late 2017. So it's probably early for Maple Media, but um, total fluke of an app. Like I just, it, when the iPhone 4 was coming out with the front facing camera for the very first time, um, it's like, what what interesting things? You know, I'm always looking for like new, and this is what you're kind of talking about. Like you're, you're more on the business side. I've always been like the indie app creator, like looking for the new creative opportunity. And so I was like, you know, what new possibilities does this unlock? And you know, I'm always thinking about new APIs, you know, widgets and other new stuff that comes out from Apple. It's like, what, what unique way can I use these uh, new features? So I was like, well, I mean, you could like make it a mirror and check your teeth and put on makeup <laughs> and stuff. And so I already had this photo app where we had like so much code already done for like sharing to Twitter and saving the the photo files to the camera roll. It's like we already had so much code. And so 
I hit up my my partner in that other app. I was like, hey, you want to just like tweak this where it's just a mirror? So we did that. And like a few years later, it was getting um, like three to 5,000 organic installs every single day, but it was barely making any money. And I was like, all right, I got I to gotta figure something out. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I tweaked on uh, increasing the price of the, the in-app purchase to, re- to remove ads. I, I changed up the ad strategy. I add more ad um, aggregation into it to increase the CPM and all that kind of stuff. And Oh, it was, it was incredible. I mean, I, I, over the course of maybe two years, like probably 10, 20 X the revenue on that app, just through like taking it seriously as a business instead of it being this hobby. A lot of it has to do with the industry is moving so quickly and there's so many changes. You can't keep the same strategy that maybe you started with. And even today at Maple, when we first started our, you know, our structures, our monetization strategy, what ad networks we work with, uh, are totally different now. And our strategy and our approach to how we manage our yield, for example, from our in-app advertising or our in-app purchases or subscriptions. And we, we totally just jumped over in-app purchases. Like, I forget that. You work so hard to get like one purchase for 99 cents. I'm just going to put subscriptions in and then hopefully I get some good renewals. And then I'm not fighting for every, you know, every inch. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of came into the app store at a really good time. <laughs> I beat my head against the one-time purchase for for a decade of like trying all these convoluted strategies to have, you know, multiple, you know, freemium models where you have multiple in-app purchases yeah, and bundles and all this version. stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. But now, but now, and it's but it's still ever evolving. We're, we we yeah. got to stay, you know, really ahead of the curve of in terms of what. What, you know, what the right strategies are, the right partners, the right ways to implement it. There's a lot of different, yeah. um, you know, changes going on in, with the, the stores themselves, revenue shares. Um, so there's a lot to keep up on and to constantly be iterating. Um, if you stay in one place too long, you're you're going to get past really quickly. Yeah. And what, one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on the podcast is that because you've acquired and operated 37 different apps across multiple categories, like you don't, you don't focus on one specific category. I was looking at your uh, listing on App Annie earlier today, and you still even have some games and productivity, a scanner app, a podcast app, um, kind of all over the board. And one of the things I find especially interesting about people who either consult with apps across multiple different categories, or in your case, like actually operate apps in all these different categories is that you just you see things that people who operate a single app in a single category just don't see you know there's there's kind of some confirmation bias in like this strategy worked so perfectly and you know everybody needs to use this strategy but once you've done that across a couple of apps you realize well it doesn't actually perform quite as well in this app and here's maybe why um so yeah, I, I'm really curious, kind of your thoughts on on and and how you think about building out strategies that are going to work across your entire portfolio, versus you know kind of taking the latest and greatest uh, kind of hot tip that 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 may not actually work uh, across all your apps. Yeah, I'd say that there's really it's it's an interesting approach that we have. So we we have we care a lot about strategy and we care a lot about process. So when we come up with particular strategies for our our app businesses you know you're right we have one of the top podcasting players out there player fm which this will be on (laughs) Um, and we have pick stitch which is one of the top photo collage editing apps and we even uh, operate a top 10 grossing weather app and weather high def radar and so those are three very different types of 
products, but I look at it at, at more of a, as a vehicle to distribute content podcasts in terms of weather, you know, it's, it's weather. Um, and pick stitch is more of a, a productivity tool, um, to help you edit your photos. But the, the wrapper is really what we really focus on the UI UX, the look and feel, the usability, the, what we care a lot about the usefulness of it, like what value we're providing our users. And so, you know, we, we, look for great products that fulfill that value proposition. And then what we're doing is we're really focusing on the edges on providing a good user experience as well as clean UI and making sure that what we're selling or offering in the app is um, that the users are getting a lot of benefit from it. But for example, like when we were focusing on UI screens, there's a lot of commonality that can go across multiple apps. For example, let's say a subscription screen, we could optimize an A-B test a screen in one app and get really confident in it. And usually the color of the button, the language, a lot of that really translates across the portfolio because it's not very specific to a, a niche or a particular type of product. However, for example, the offering, like whether we offer an annual subscription or a monthly subscription, whether we offer a free trial, whether we don't offer a subscription, whether we offer, let's say, an app purchase or it's a freemium model, that matters to the to the product, and so we tailor we would right. tailor that piece to the product based on how it's how how it's being used and what people are used to, or why you would pay a monthly subscription for one thing versus yearly for another. So that would be more nuanced. Yeah. So um, off the top of your head, well, I mean, we 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 talked through these questions before, but uh, are there? Are, can you recall a specific strategy you tried in one app that was just like? did amazingly well. And then you're like, okay, this is, you know, this is the hot new stuff. We're going to put this across our entire portfolio. And then it just failed miserably in, in another product. The, the easiest one is a free trial because sometimes yeah. a free trial makes a lot of sense. We have a calendar app called WeCal and offering a seven day tr free trial is, is important because we want people to enter their calendar information and they got to get through a full week to really see the value of it. In this particular app, we have, um, different views of how you can view your California. I think there's like nine or, or so of them. And there's one particular one called the agenda that's like really specific and unique to the app. And we want to get people used to see, using it because we know once they experience it and they start seeing the value of it, they'll, they'll stay. But they've got to be able to really experience it and go through a full week uh, to really yeah. see the value of it. But in our weather app, for example, there's a big storm coming and they're going to want to use the app for uh, for that storm period. And so a free trial might not convert very well because people, you know, people might just want to use it for one-off occasions. And so you would, you need to have different strategy in that app versus the calendar app. Although we have the same screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so then on the, on the paywall front, uh, with AB testing in multiple apps and then applying that across the portfolio, um, any, any specific paywall tips, any, any things you've done that work particularly well, anything that worked particularly poorly as you went through your AB we, tests? We joke, we joke internally cause teal, we, we realized teal is not a good color. Um, <laughs> that was, that was one AB test we did, uh, that, that was pretty funny. Um, and, uh, that's sort of Sorry, so like just changing the color, you saw that significant of a difference that, that, that it, it was notable. It was notable that teal was not a good color. Wow. <laughs> that was, that was one takeaway that we had. <laughs> yeah. Any other, uh, paywall thoughts as, as you've worked and iterated on your paywalls over the years? I just really think it's, it's about, it's about communicating the value proposition and then delivering on it. 
And and right. a lot of what we do, whether it's paywalls or whether it's new features, it's all about delivering value to the user and that they're getting um, they're getting a lot of a good utility out of it. Um, and then that's what's going to that's the best way to, to drive retention and, you yeah. know, and, and to drive loyal users. Another piece I should tell you that, you know, I think goes very under the radar is customer support. <laughs> like, yeah, in subscriptions, you're providing a service. And a part of that is people have a lot of questions or need help with it. And so providing really strong customer support is, is really important. And, and mobile developers aren't used to that because that's not, you know, most people you're doing in-app purchases or that's pretty new to the industry. And that's something we actually spend a lot of time on and, and actually care a lot about. Yeah, that's great. It's it's a tough one too because so many times it feels like uh, I mean, especially you know, as we were talking about earlier in the app store years, it's like this person paid me ninety nine cents five years <laughs> ago, and like it's going to take me twenty minutes to answer this customer support. But then exactly what you said, it's like you gotta like have the long picture, and then especially now monetizing via subscriptions is that it's it's not just that one time purchase five years ago. It's like you're building a relationship with these customers and then that matters for reviews, for referrals, for and just like being a good person and a good company, like taking care of the folks who who are investing in your company and, and staying subscribed over time. Well, that's, and that's how you build a brand and and you build a following and you can and then that's how you can build retention and your user acquisition will be more efficient because people will recognize it and know that they're you know that they're going to be good to the users. I mean Nordstrom's right. Nordstrom's is a great example. Everyone knows Nordstrom's has great customer service and that's why a lot of people shop there and they have a great reputation for that. And so in the why why would that be any different in the in the app store? Yeah, yeah. So this may get a little tiresome because your answers may be the same, but I did want to go through like all the different kind of aspects of an app and I'll probably forget a few, but kind of talk through, you know, we, we just talked paywalls, but uh, I, I'm just curious it, through each of these different segments, if there's any kind of insights you have, like, like the teal thing for the paywall. <laughs> um, so, so having worked in so many apps in, and worked through so many different onboarding flows, are, th- are there any things you've learned in onboarding specifically of like how to communicate that value, how to kind of sell and draw people in, in the onboarding being so important to an app? You know, onboarding is such an interesting topic because there's really a few ways you can go. There's the one way that you got to educate the user of what the features are and what the value proposition of the app is and how to use it. But also people don't have an attention span and they usually just want to get into the app. <laughs> yep. And one thing I learned early on in the gaming business at Gem City, which is at the time we had a really popular match three game. And we, we came out with another game that had a completely new uh, game mechanic, but people didn't really know the rules. And it was really hard to try to teach them the rule because all they really wanted, what we saw was all they wanted to do was skip the tutorial and play the game. But they skipped the right. tutorial, get in the game, they didn't know how to play. Right. And we couldn't get them to do the tutorial. So we were like kind of stuck in the middle. So that's why we really like, you saw that on our, you saw that we also operate games. I love classic games that people know the rules to. Because then I don't have to give them a tutorial. Because they already know how to play Minesweeper or Sudoku. And similar with apps to some degree. I want to get users directly into the app and, and using it. And then later on, I can teach them. And so we'll have tips. Like some of a lot of our apps will have tips after the fact. Um, every time we update the app, we'll do a what's new, um, and then just sort of 
teach people the app as they go through it. But I really like simple apps that people know how already how to inherently use. That's the best yeah. way I feel like to do onboarding. Know the rules. So then when you do onboarding, what is the goal? I mean, do you do you still just do three pages of education and with a skip button? Or have you come up with another kind of job to be done for the onboarding that you found to be more successful at engaging people? My personal take on it is get a user into the game, into the app as quickly as possible, get them using it, and then and then start teaching them how to do it sort of as they get through the app. Gotcha. And then freemium strategy. So you already talked about WeCal, where you, you, you just need to get that free trial. Um, what kind of freemium strategies have you experimented with your other apps? And what have you seen you know, be successful and, and challenge? Freemium is a really interesting... That's a really interesting topic because you want to give away enough to get the user understanding the app, but you want to give away too much because there's no reason to... to you know, the kind of, that they just... They could use it, and there's not no reason to um, subscribe or or monetize, which is fine, except for the fact that you can't support the app with more yeah. features. Right? Like, there's nothing wrong yeah. with giving away something for free and having great great users, but then you can't really iterate on the app and provide yeah. it, you know, better service, or it makes it very hard to do customer support, like you said, if someone's paying ninety nine cents. Uh, so, like, it's it's sort of a give take relationship there. We want to give away enough to provide value in that experience, but then provide sort of an additional layer of more features and advanced features for those that really want to really see the value in it and take advantage of it. So there's a fine line that you got to walk between. Yeah. So, so in, in your, across your different apps where there's like content or weather data or other things, do you, do you try and, um, well, and you, you talked earlier about ads. Do, you, do most of your app have ads so that you are monetizing the free users where you're not quite needing to push the the subscription as hard? Or how do you balance the kind of ads and features and content? Not all of our apps have ads. Some of them do. It depends on the, the right strategy for that product. And some of them, for example, have cost to it. I mean, yeah. Whether it's a good example, you know, a lot of them have server costs or cost for content. And so it's not there's this freemium concept that it's free to the user, but sometimes users don't realize there's a, there's an ongoing supportive cost yeah. <laughs> from the developer to support it. That could be server related or uh, content related. Customer, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of different um, categories, um, but we we try to match the right strategy, uh, whether it's ads or subscriptions with the right app. And so sometimes we'll have ads, sometimes we won't. Sometimes it'll be subscriptions. Sometimes we're gonna purchase it. So it sort of depends on on the type of content. And a lot of what users are used to purchasing in an app. I'll give you a good example. People aren't that used to subscribing to games. Like now they are with Xbox Live and you're seeing a lot more today. But historically, you you bought a game for, you know, bought a Nintendo game for like $30, $40 and you got to enjoy the game. Yeah, or $70. $70 I just pre-ordered Gran Turismo 7 <laughs> on my son's PlayStation yesterday. And I was like, 70 bucks. And then it was 90 for the deluxe edition. But then you get, Holy I mean, cow. you get a, yeah. almost a lifetime of content. <laughs> yeah, and, no, absolutely. Game hours. and Yeah. Uh, but people are used to paying subscriptions for their cell phones, you know, for their carrier plans or for cable or, you know, there's certain categories they're used to. For They're used to paying for premium software, right? You have... Windows, right. or maybe you have a Adobe Creative Suite, or you have Excel. And so WeCal makes sense, our calendar app, because the people are used to paying a premium for, let's say, software. Yeah. So we really sort of match what what people are, you know, what models make sense in, in the world. And 
is no different than on mobile than it is in you know on desktops or other other mediums. Yeah, are there any uh, app categories where you think ads work especially well? Like it, it, with a productivity app like WeCal, do you specifically like do you have ads in that in the free version, or do you feel like productivity apps actually lend themselves to not having this ad supported experience? I don't see we don't have a lot of ads in our productivity apps because those are what we consider more software or premium SaaS, more like premium software, but games, I mean, I get, you know, most people are really familiar with having uh, ads in games and there's a lot more advertisers spending money on games, advertising. So you're going to get better CPM. So it's like people are used to it and are a little bit more accepting from a user perspective. There's better CPMs because there's more buyers in the market. So that seems, that makes sense. (laughs) That that gets a little better, better to put it in an app, let's say productivity that has lower CPMs, you make less money with it and users are a little bit more annoyed isn't you know doesn't doesn't really fit the model. Yeah, I wonder if part of that low CPM is also just kind of user behavior. It's like if you're in WeCal, you're not like futzing around like, you know, hanging out playing a game where you you don't mind being distracted like checking out another game or whatever. Yeah, you're doing work. Like when you're, you're WeCal, it's like you're yeah, you're working, like you're managing your calendar so there's less kind of distractibility so the the uh, the click through rates probably go down. The you know the the engagement probably goes down. In addition to just it not performing well from a CPM basis. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how about marketing? We we haven't uh, talked at all about marketing strategies. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on on effective strategies? And then again, like, does it change app by app as far as you know, kind of going after more organic and uh, app store optimization and search ads and Facebook? I mean, it's just marketing such a, a big can of worms, and and you're working on it across a lot of apps in a lot of different categories. So I'd love to hear your kind of high level thoughts, and then maybe I'll follow up and, and get some some tactics out of you. Well, the way we approach marketing, I look at marketing is really about developing a brand. And having more of a 360 approach to, you know, all the different elements, what goes into marketing, direct user acquisition is obviously an easy one at mobile, but you also have PR and you also have um, more, you know, brand sort of partnerships and you can look at different distribution opportunities. There's obviously working with the app stores to get a little bit more, you know, better placements. So we look at it more of a holistic perspective in terms of how do we, can we fit all these pieces together as well as direct user acquisition uh, to grow the businesses and make people more aware of our products. So then, you know, specifically on, on organic strategies, are, are there, are there anything you've seen pay off in your apps um, that, that you've uh, doubled down on for a specific app or even kind of tried to implement across all your apps? Not necessarily from an organic perspective. I think a lot of what we look at is that mainly maybe is more in our MA strategy which is looking for apps that, that inherently already have a good footprint. I think a star, I think having good ratings is, is just really important, more so because users, they go through the, the you know, they're looking for a particular category. They care a lot about yeah. what, what their cohorts say, because that's the, probably one of the better ways to understand if it's worthwhile to download and use the app. And so having good store ratings um, is, is more important than just you know, a lot of people think that that affects your rank, 
but there's a lot more value to it than just that. Yeah. Is there a, do you target, uh, I've heard some people say, you know, once you get above like 4.5 stars, it doesn't really matter. Um, is there like a specific target that you try to hit or any strategies you use in the app to get more favorable reviews? I like, I've, I've actually never heard that, but that's a good, you know, I think four, two is sort of teetering four, five is yeah. a good number. If anything yeah. above that is great. If you're at four, eight, you're, you're in really good shape, but yeah, I think yeah. four or five is a good number. I like that. So what you're saying is like that you, you specifically acquire apps that, that already have some traction in or in organic search. Um, and so is that something you, you continue to foster as far as like, you know, keyword strategies and swapping out screenshots and that sort of thing? We look for characteristics. So we care a lot about the characteristics of an app of, of and why, what the value proposition of it is. And if it's a app, if, if it's a app that provides good value to the users, then inherently almost everything else falls in place. They're going to rate it and give you good reviews. So you're already going to have, they're, they're going to have an affinity to it. So you probably will have more reviews. They're probably better. Um, and so their organics are going to be pretty sustainable and consistent. They'll probably have good retention because people like inherently like the app and continue to use it. So it might sound boring, but it kind of gets back to the core. What is the core <laughs> product? And right. um, is it providing value to the user? Um, and, 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 you know, price too matters in that equation too, as long as, as, as it's got to be a fair price for the user. Um, and sort of almost a lot of the other pieces sort of start fitting in when it has those, you know, core characteristics. Yeah, you know, price, I actually didn't put price in my in my list of things to ask about, but I, I'm curious then, and I kind of like that take of like a fair price. I was just talking to somebody yesterday. Um, my advice has often been, you know, that that people who are willing to pay are often much less price sensitive than you imagine, and so there's a certain pull to go ahead and just price it higher. Um, but then there's a pull on the flip side of like, you kind of want people to feel like they're getting a good deal. Um, is that kind of what you meant by, by a fair price? Yeah, I think that it's, um, it just needs to be matched appropriately with, with the product. And, you know, we try to put a lot of thought into it, into the pricing, not just yet, not just like increasing it because you want, you know, because you want (laughs) to, like, that's just not the right approach. Like there should be some, you got to have some good reasoning behind it. And I, and I guess that's what we try to anchor on. Do you do a lot of price testing? Uh, we do, we do some, we do some, we definitely, uh, do some testing, but at the end of the day, it's, um, it's also what is appropriate for the product. Yeah. In, in your price testing, is there any, um, I'm kind of, I'm surprised because so many people I talk to are like, oh, price testing, price testing, price testing, like this is going to unlock so much value. You're operating 37 apps in the app store and you're kind of like, oh, we've done a little price testing, sure, whatever. <laughs> I mean, do, do, have you just not found it to actually unlock that much value or or do you kind of set your prices more philosophically than than trying to kind of like perfectly match your like demand curve balance? When you have one app, you have to grind on that one app to refine every single piece of it to increase, you know, to start really increasing its usage or revenue or retention. But when you have a portfolio, we're looking at incremental, we're looking at things that we can do that we can roll across multiple apps to lift the entire portfolio. And so we don't necessarily have to get 
that deep into into the weeds to build to to grow the individual apps and to build the business. Uh, so we're a little bit more focused on a holistic view of the portfolio and how we can generate more value to our users and not necessarily just sort of uh, grinding on the pricing. Extract more value from users. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll give you a good example. Like with our podcasting business, we implemented uh, or implementing now uh, a podcasting section into our We Heart It uh, social media app, as well as we own a, a stock portfolio app and we're implementing a section in there to offer finance and other stock kind of driven uh, podcast um, content. And we're going to be, you know, we're going to be branding and, and telling our users and our other apps about our Player FM podcasting app. And we're going to be offering more content, targeted content in those apps. We actually sell advertising to podcast creators that can now reach more of a target audience. And that's driving value to our users because now we're providing more targeted content to them that could be interesting. They can access immediately in the app. Um, we're co-branding our, our products so more users can be more aware of our our podcasting business. And it also extends our reach to be able to sell more advertising to podcast creators so they can reach a broader audience and even more niche audiences that they weren't able to reach before. So that's something that feels like a really good sort of win around the board. And that would be something a little bit more that we would like focus on and invest time in. Yeah, that makes sense. So are there any other, you know, having such a large portfolio of apps, um, are there any other kind of co-marketing solutions that you've seen actually work well? Like, you know, forever, I, I, I don't think I even have it anymore, but I used to have like a little carousel in settings that showed all the other apps that I owned. Um, and then, you know, there has been attempts by indie developers to kind of do like a, a co-op marketing thing where, you, you know, you kind of have, you know, 10, 20 apps um, from quality indie developers and try and show them. And Apple kind of tamped down on that a little bit. But I'm just curious if, if, if you if you still do things like that and if you if you see any lift from any other kind of co-marketing. So funny. I'm not I'm not a really big component of uh, cross promotion. I think it's it's. Um... It doesn't drive as much value a usage as yeah. as you would think or hope, and so we do some some of it. But I think it it needs to be more native, like this pot the podcasting example. It needs to be a little bit more native, and it's got to make a little bit more more sense, and that can drive an impact. Also, another one is yeah. is also, you know, if you build up this relationship with your users, like we we're talking about earlier, then you can start recommending your apps. That's when cross motion starts helping is when you have loyal, loyal users who really like what you do and how you operate your apps, then they're more likely to download some other apps. Um, but you have to be very explicit and tell your users, hey, this is my app. Yeah. Uh, you, you would like it versus, you know, if we have in-app advertising, because it's very confusing of what's the difference between a cross motion and potentially like a, an ad. Yeah, I know that makes a lot of sense. And I was going to ask about remnant ads, but it makes sense that remnant ads are going to perform terribly compared to saying, hey, you like WeCal, we also make yeah. a weather app or... But we explicitly call out from the developer of, you know, kind of like movies, yeah. right? Movies always like, yeah. from the, you know, the person who made this movie, here's their next movie. So when you do implement those kind of strategies, are you are you doing like a pop-up in the app? Are you putting in settings? Or how are you calling attention? Are you doing email campaign when you've collected email? Sort of, sort of all, all the above. But, but it could be a pop-up or it could be in the menu. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. 
And I'd be remiss to not hammer a little harder and, and go a little deeper on marketing. Um, you know, and, and, and so much has changed and I want to dive into ATT and all the tracking and ad industry stuff right now. But, um, but I do want to hear like what, what's working paid marketing wise, you know, are, are there specific strategies that, um, that you found across your portfolio that are, are successful? Like, are you trying TikTok ads? Are you sticking with Facebook or app store search ads? Any, any kind of tidbits for us on, on what's working across your portfolio? Yeah, we're we're sort of uh, down the middle when it comes to our user acquisition strategy, sticking to the tried and true, <laughs> yeah. um, and and you know, so with the combination of our cross promotion strategies, our organic downloads, our our branding efforts, which are more partnership driven, building up the, the concept of a brand. Uh, we also have a PR strategy of around some of our key apps, and then doing you know user acquisition mainly through the more of the traditional channels. Um, creates an aggregate yeah. lift that we're, you know, pretty happy with. So are you, are you spending on Facebook specifically or where, where do you spend currently? I think a lot of times people overspend and don't necessarily really dig in and understand the ROI on the spend. And so we're really focused on what that investment is and, and, and making sure that we're optimizing the channels and, and spending wisely. How do you, how do you measure I mean, it's so tough now. I mean, it's getting tougher and tougher. Like, do you have MMPs integrated into your apps or, or are you kind of doing more incrementality type? Like you spend a bunch of money and, and uh, you know, measure the results and, and then pull back on spending and, and look at the impact. It's a little, it's, it's a little combination of, of all of that. Cause it, you're right. It is really hard to track it. Um, but you can, you can get a really feel for it. Like we really understand our apps, the KPIs, I mean, deep into the metrics. And if you're really deep into the metrics of your app, you can really feel it out. Right. But you're, but you're dodging my question. Where, where, where are you putting your money? <laughs> the traditional guys, you know, Google and Apple. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so with search ads specifically, um, you know, I hear a lot of people say it's one of the better channels, but it just taps out quickly. Is that, has that been your experience? Like, um, you know, with your weather app, I assume you're doing app store search ads for, you know, specific weather keywords and stuff. That's why we have to have more of a broader strategy. And you know, I think there's very few companies yeah. doing PR around their weather app, for example. And so that's right. why I'm not dodging your question. We, we don't do, <laughs> we do, right. I look at UA as supplemental to everything else we're doing, not the other way around. Right. Um, yeah, we're, tr I'm trying to find other channel. Every weather app is buying search ads. Like I, right. it, it doesn't, it's some, to some degree. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, how am I going to create a competitive advantage and to grow my business if I'm fishing in the exact same pond that all the other weather apps are fishing in? Yeah, there you go. See, it was worth, it was worth me pressing you on that because that's a fantastic answer. Is that is and, and this is something I've been talking a lot about over the past year. You know, with all the changes in marketing and tracking and everything else like that, I think developers need to think more like you're thinking about this. Is that so many apps got too dependent on? Well, if we put a dollar into Facebook, we got a dollar twenty out. 60 days later. So let's just, you know, borrow at a 25% interest rate because the math works and put as much money as we can into Facebook ads. And, um, and some of those apps are really struggling right now because they didn't kind of have this more broad approach to marketing and thinking about the paid as, as leverage on top versus kind of the foundation of the entire strategy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about building a good foundation 
And, you know, organic is part of it, but that's also not everything, but it's building a good foundation of a sustainable business. And there's no business that's really reliant on, on essentially one channel, right? Of, of users. Yeah. And, and I mean, in, in some ways you're probably self-selected a bit, as you said, kind of buying apps that already have some established product market fit and probably have some established organic traffic through search and other places. And so, um, you know, somebody starting from scratch without product market fit or without search traction in the app stores and stuff like that, you know, may have to kind of adjust the strategy accordingly to get to oh, that point. Absolutely. Starting starting a strat, an app from scratch is it would take a totally different uh strategy and approach than without what we what we do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but I did want to ask specifically like what what do you look for in an acquisition? And then I I didn't put this in the talking points notes. So I'm gonna surprise you with it now uh until just this morning. But um I, I think I remember correctly that you told me one time that you love buying apps from indie developers. Uh, so it, it, first of all, am I, am I hearing you correctly? And then, uh, or, or do I remember correctly? And then um, what do you look for in acquiring an app? So, okay. So to answer your first question is, I, and this is going to sound simple, but, and you've probably heard me talk a lot about this, you know, throughout the podcast, but is the app useful and, and is the game right. fun? Like, and that really goes a long way. Uh, and we really, we, we care a lot about that and the care, and then, then it gets into the characteristics, but the characteristics start getting deeper into those categories of like, well, why is it useful? And are people finding value from it? Maybe they're not, but maybe there's value that we can add to it to provide value to the user. But I'm trying to build a, a sustainable business for the next 10, 15 years. I don't know how long the app store is going to be around for, but like <laughs> hopefully longer than that. But I'm trying to build a long, right. very long-term sustainable business as well as a, a long-term sustainable relationship with my users, which I think is a, is a fairly un, is a very unique approach to building an app business or to our M&A strategy. So it really right. starts, it really starts there. And then, and then I can get into the, and then we get into the metrics. No, I don't, I don't think I was the one. We bought apps from really big companies okay. and even, you know, sure, some, some, I would even say smaller than indie developers, um, but it really right. runs the gamut. And yeah. I like to think that we provide a good option to companies big and small. Uh, there's a lot of really good reasons why somebody would want to sell, a, whether it's an app or a whole portfolio. We've done both, and it and it can appeal to to a wide range of um, folks of why you know why they'd sell an app. Yeah. So when you when you acquire an app, what's your playbook? I mean, yeah, you know, or what are you willing to share of your playbook? It's probably the the better question. But but yeah, I'd love to hear like what what's are there like a top three list of like you know almost every app you acquire? These are the things that that unlock value. Yeah, it's it's about the value proposition and making sure that the you're communicating it properly and also that the that you're providing a, a good service. And sometimes that takes communication. Sometimes you need to fix certain certain components of it. Sometimes it's not presented properly in the app. So sometimes you have to improve how it's presented. But I'd say a lot of it has to do with those mechanics. And then also, we like to invest in our products and we try to, to grow them. Um, and that's, you know, that's sort of a different approach. Sometimes people think of M&A roll-ups where they're just sort of riding them, you know, coasting. Right. But that's not, you know, that's not part of, that's not what we look to do. And, and um, so we're looking for 
opportunities and, and how do we can, um, how it you know, fits into our portfolio and, and, and how we can appropriately manage it. Yeah. So you have what, f- more than 40 people on your team now? Yeah, we're north. I want to say we're north of fifty, something, something like that. <laughs> wow. Okay, I got that from LinkedIn. So yeah, I wasn't sure how up to date it was. So, so yeah, you have a lot of resources, both um, personnel and financially, to invest in the apps you acquire. So, we're so that's full, a big part of the strategy. We're a full studio, so we can take on on a wide. Yeah. We're, we have a unique position where we have a lot of experience in a lot of categories, and so we can take on most products. Uh, and effectively manage them. Uh, we have a very skilled team. Uh, our engineering group is just fantastic. And they love the challenge of bringing on, not all engineers usually like taking somebody else's code, and but they love the, the challenge of taking somebody else's code, fitting it within. We have our own in-house platform called Ivory, which we, I guess that's part of the playbook is that we implement our own, we have our own technology gotcha. platform that allows us to um, manage all these apps at scale. And so we have internal infrastructure uh, that it manages, allows us to manage a lot of products sort of under, under one portfolio, on one group. And by leveraging that, as well as our team, we're able to uh, take on a sort of a broad portfolio and, and we do everything in house. Yeah. So, so is that part of the strategy then you acquire an app and you, do you have a specific kind of day one plan of like, we're going to interview a bunch of users or do you put a product manager on it and like have kind of a vision for, for what's next and kind of pick up from the person you acquired what they thought the low hanging fruit was? What's your kind of product strategy around uh, picking these apps up and then, you know, running with the ball? Usually the strategy is developed before it's acquired. So during, gotcha. during the, the onboard, the, um, I'd say maybe through the M&A process, we, we know exactly what we're going to do with it. Um, and we've interviewed, you know, in depth, the, the folks that work on it uh, and already generally have a plan going into it from day one. So that once, once the deal is, is completed, we hit the ground running. And I guess the first thing is we implement our, yeah, our platform ivory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it just allows us to, to make everything very consistent, uh, consistent yeah. code base, consistent connections to analytics and, and different uh, you know, our advertising platforms. And that allows us to really speak the same language and report in the same language. So all our apps have the same infrastructure, which goes, which is sort of pretty imperative when you're managing a lot of different products. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that gets tricky with 37 apps. Um, But I also, I also point out as one of the playbooks is, is also, it's a great, you know, we look and acquire great products. So at that point we assume that it's a great product and we, or we know it's a great product and, don't don't mess with something that's really that's really good. So we're we're looking to refine, yeah. but the main proposition is already there, and there's a lot of users that really enjoy it. So we have to continue to deliver on that. Yeah, don't screw it up. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Just don't yeah. screw it up. That's great. <laughs> uh, well, I think that that's a great place where we're heading up, up on the top of the hour. Um, but as we close out, um, any, anything else you wanted to share, and then um, anything you want to pitch? Are you you hiring currently? Uh, we were talking before. You are uh, continually acquiring new apps. Yeah, I'd I'd say we're sort of all above. We're definitely hiring. We have a, a great packages and I think we're a fun company to work at and we're acquiring, you know, we're, we're still very inquisitive and interested in uh, acquiring mobile apps or games. And, and I'd encourage anyone to reach out to us on our website at maplemedia.io where you can see jobs listings as well as get in touch with us. Awesome. 
Well, it's super fun talking to you. A lot of great insights in this conversation. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks a lot. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you.